to you. Thanks, Rog. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my lovely wife up the top there. Uh, happy Mother's Day, darling. Uh, she and I have been married for 45 years this July. And uh, she is responsible for my life colliding with the goodness and the grace of God. And so I have a debt to her, which she keeps like reinforcing, you know, it's just so hard, you know. <laughs> no, she doesn't. It's just, uh, she's my soulmate and dearest, dearest friend in, in the whole world. But I'm not going to go down that track because then it just, it's like an hour will go by. Uh, I went for a COVID test on Friday and uh, I tested positive afterwards for relief <laughs> and negative for the virus. But if I get it on Monday, it means I've got it here. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm also super confident in we're doing the best we can. We're masking up. We, let's not be casual about the fact that this is not, there's no politics behind this. It's a virus. Let's respect it. And let's respect each other as we uh, make the best of emerging back into church. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. Roger, it's like over a year since we were able to hang out together and worship. And uh, Natalie, thanks for leading worship so wonderfully. You're such a dear friend to us. We love you so much. So, uh, Rog and the preaching team here in uh, Bloberg have been uh, just embarked on a journey around, around identity. Around, and this is what's coming for the rest of May. And I want to just tuck in there and hopefully be a blessing to that journey in some way. I want to strengthen the foundations of our understanding of grace. And so I got a sermon title from my wife, which hopefully will capture. You've all heard of the book, Great Expectations. I want to speak to you on grace expectations. And I want us to just take a sigh on the inside. And I really am trusting the Holy Spirit to feed our faith with these amazing facets of God's undeserved mercy. A major facet of grace is that God saves and delivers ordinary wicked rebels like Rigby Wallace and Roger Haynes and whatever your name is. He delivers us on the basis of his own goodness from the tyranny of having to self-generate or outsource our identity. I'm not speaking on that because I know that's what's being taught into your journey, but just maybe to say this, an outsourced identity very often is, is what culture imposes on us for acceptance. It's like uh, outsourced to culture equals uh, Twitter followers, Facebook likes, and there's a tyranny and a fluctuality and a fluidity in that, and we wonder why we feel good and bad about ourselves, you know, within minutes or within hours or within days. And then the other tyranny is this insourced identity where I, I, I take responsibility for self-generating my identity. And that can come through the performance treadmill. It can come through religious routine of, of works trying to earn God's acceptance. And that in itself is a tyranny. And one of the things that so many of us in this room have discovered is there is such relief and such joy when we 
connect with this possibility of an upsourced identity or a downsourced identity. It's, it's more to do with, uh, on the basis of God's own goodness, He justifies unrighteous people. On the basis of God's own goodness, He, he takes rebels, enemies, and turns them into friends. And I think Ephesians 2 puts it wonderfully when it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. But just before that, in around about verse 5 and 6 of Ephesians 2, Paul says uh, that it's by mercy that you've been accepted. And he did that, drum solo, so that in the ages to come, he would show his incomparable kindness or riches of his grace toward us in Christ. Folk, what are we seeing here? We're seeing it's one thing to get an identity. It's another thing to know that that identity that's conferred on us as a gift by grace is an identity that awakens in us an appetite for even more grace. And that it's not just grace for problems. It's not just grace for this life. It's grace for all eternity. Can we have a yeah? That is so, so wonderful and encouraging for a reasonably young guy like myself, who at 66 is a little closer to the ages of ages. And what I'm wanting to say is God doesn't only take our sin, our wickedness, our evil, our shame, our darkness, and nail it to the cross of His Son, Not only does he, through the work of Jesus, not our work, the work of Jesus, bind us to his goodness together, he wants to awaken in us an expectation of his grace for every season of life, for every challenge that comes our way. And we're going to track Paul's understanding of grace, which takes saving faith, which gives us this new identity, but this new identity is designed to give us a new expectation So let's read together. It's on the screen, and Paul is talking out of the overflow of the letter he's writing to the Corinthians, his second letter. He's encountering all kinds of problems with sexual immorality in the church. He's had to bring discipline with the super apostles, the sort of pretenders who are trying to attack him and and denigrate him publicly. And uh, he's having a really, really hard time. And he says, and but God in the midst of it is giving him these incredible insights, the blueprint for what he's doing in the world through Jesus Christ. Folk, what we get in the headlines in the newspapers are not the real headlines. The real headlines are what God is doing in Christ, which he will climax at the end of history through his son. And he gets the blueprint of what's happening And so, verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, 
and calamities and pestilences and downsides of economic hardship. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul's having a really tough time. And he's having to, uh, and he's sharing his heart with us. And he's sharing his heart with us in a way that he says, I want you to learn the lesson that I learned. And I know that for many of us over the last year, there's kind of a spectrum of some who've really flourished and done well, and we rejoice with you if that's your experience through COVID. But there are many in this room and online who've experienced real hardship and real challenge and real difficulty, and we want to be a church that has an understanding of grace that captures both poles of the human experience. And so Paul begins this encounter and this, I pleaded with God three times. He's pleading out of his identity. He's pleading as someone who's already received saving grace. He's pleading from a grace-generated gifted identity. And God's answer to him is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I want you to do a little exercise in your mind. Think about this. You're going through a really tough time and and you ask a friend to pray with you and they pray with you and they quote this verse. My grace is sufficient for you. you. Have you felt like when somebody does that, they've just sort of whispered to you a consolation prize? Like grace is what you get when you don't get what you really want. Huh? Can you identify with that? Just one or two of us? Yeah. But that's not what's going on here. Paul... When he, he three times, like I've been through a, a situation in the last five weeks. It's been the toughest ministry assignment of my life. There are times I did not know how I would bring, th- how I would come through this. At a personal level, I just felt, man, this is so yucky. And I am now on slightly on the. I'm still in it, but I'm. I am living in the realization that grace <clears throat> is not just giving me identity. It's giving me an identity by which I can come to God and receive. That promise, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength will be made perfect in your weakness, and that's the proviso, a white flag to say, yes, I have weakness, but we don't raise a white flag, we disqualify ourselves from grace flowing through and into our inadequacy. And so this is absolutely stunning when Paul says, when God says, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness, what's the next word? Therefore, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So to Paul, grace was way more than just this unmerited saving faith that gave him an identity. It was a dependency. It was an, a grace expectation that for the rest of his life, no matter what he was going through, grace would win the day. Grace would bring us through. And even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death, grace, surely goodness and grace will follow me all the days of my life. And so John Piper has a beautiful word for grace. And I I just think sometimes we need to find some new vocabulary. Do you want to hear it? Should I do it now or next week? Now? Listen to this. Saving faith, what's given me this new identity, overflows in powerful, practical, 
Helpfulness from God. That's grace. Helpfulness from God. Are you expecting helpfulness from God? And I want to teach just very a short message. We're going to answer four questions. And uh, that hopefully will feed your expectation of grace in your life. Number one, does God want us to actually experience His grace in tough times? That seems to what he has in mind when he says, Paul, if I, if I just take this thorn out, which is designed to humble you, keep you dependent on me, uh, help you face your inadequacy, serve notice on your self-sufficiency, to keep you humble so that you're humble enough not to, to, to bring your own strength to every moment. He says, I want you to experience my grace in those times. And so in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, it's becoming one of my most favorite verses uh, so we're backing up from chapter 12, and he's laid this foundation already for the, his, his listeners. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every or all good works. Did you notice that? Five alls. It sounds like God has got every single season, experience, circumstance covered with, this, prophet, with this, this promise. God is able to make all grace to... Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Tell me if I'm right. Some of you are thinking, yeah, no, he's able. But how do I know he'll do it for me? I've watched him even do it for a few of my friends. But how do I know he's going to do it for me, well, I'm so glad you've asked that question. Because the next question, number two, is this question. Is there some kind of theological foundation under this promise of experiential grace? That I actually can experience it, that I can expect it, that I can live with grace expectation. What is the foundation for that? Again, so grateful for these questions. You're firing at me, left, right, and center. So when talking about grace, if we back up another chapter into the letter. So he's laid this foundation already by the time he says, my grace is sufficient. Here's the foundation. When he's talking about grace, Paul reminds the Corinthians of the grace they've received when he says these words in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, which is on the screen. Won't you read this one out loud with me? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Isn't that amazing? Now just, just pause a little. You say, Rigby, what on earth is going on in that verse? You know the grace. He says, you know it. You've got this grace-conferred identity. You know it. And the grounds for that grace-conferred identity was that Jesus who was at the right hand of majesty in heaven, broke into history as this beautiful bundle of baby in Bethlehem. And he lives this perfect life. And he dies the death that we should have died. On the cross, he absorbs into himself all our shame, our sin, our darkness, our inadequacy. He says, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus, he was rich. Yet all the way down the humiliation through the incarnation into fully embracing our humanity, flesh and blood like us, he dies, the God-man, on a cross to reconcile us to God, to bring us home. 
You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that for your sake he became. That's past tense. I'm going to ask a question. Can Jesus ever again become poor? No. He did it once and for all. He did it fully. He did it fully. We're not trivializing that. It is the most extravagant gift to the world. He who was rich became poor. He embraced our sinfulness, our shame, our unrighteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to carefully. There we get it. He became poor. It's in the past. Notice the tense there, past tense. Okay, drum solo. So that you, by his poverty, what he did on the cross, might become present, future, continuous tense, rich in every way. The foundation for expecting grace, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how much more will he freely give us all things, all things that are for our good and all things that are for his glory. And that's how, how, that's how what God has done in Christ establishes the foundation. So when I think, does God really, I know, I know God wants me to experience his grace, but how can I be sure? Because of what he's already done. He's already sent his son. And it is a scandal that we just want an identity, but that identity wants to coach us and teach us to expect more grace. Wow. Put your faith firmly in what God has done in Jesus on the cross. Look away from works. Look away from what you see in the mirror. And out of your grace-gifted identity, start to expect God. That's not trivial a miracle a day keeps the devil away kind of stuff. No, it's about fully occupying our sonship and our daughtership in the grace of God. Third question, can we neglect or miss this foundation and, and, and it's, uh, this foundation for the experience of future grace? Can we miss it? Yes, we can. We don't lose it, but we can neglect it. And that's the problem. I think too many Christ followers want fire insurance. They just don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven. And what happens is they don't live with this wonderful, grace-ravished sense of a new identity with grace expectations for every moment of every day. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 is one of my favorite verses. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And the next part of the verse leaps into, and a bitter root spring up that defiles many. My dear, dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, so many of our disappointments and our bitternesses from things that have happened to us or fractured relationships, I want you to know this thing. We are not at the mercy primarily of the bad things that come in our lives. Notice what it says, see to it, that no one misses the sufficiency of God's grace. And when you miss the grace of God, very often, take grace out, you're left to try and manage and, and guts it through the difficulties, the strains, the circumstantial stuff in our lives. And so folk, bitterness does not come 
from bad experiences. Bitterness comes from missing the grace of God in our lives. It's so clear there. Another way we miss the grace of God is because we miss the means of grace. Folk, the one thing that COVID has done in maybe too much online stuff and not enough shoulder-to-shoulder, face-to-face, life-on-life, and we're longing for more of that, but we're going to do the best we can and wisely to meet together in homes and get into those bras and make it part of emerging from our little world. One of my favorite little axioms is, will the islands please return to the mainland? Here's the danger. There's not enough grace on your island. You have to get some of the grace that God has for your life through God's body. Because if it's all about God just giving you directly the grace, uh, you wouldn't need anyone, and you would be a self-sufficient island, and we've, we've had enough of that. We need to come back and, and, and just honestly admit how much we need our brothers and sisters. And so the means of grace is, yes, some of this can happen on your own, but a whole lot needs to happen in community. It's scripture reading, it's prayer, it's repentance. We understand when we've got this identity, we don't run from God when we blow it, we run to Him. It's worship, both personal and corporate, as a means of grace. I can't tell you how alive I came as we worshiped. I just felt the beauty and the wonder of something that's very different to Rigby Wallace croaking in the, in the shower. But folk, listen up. It's also Sabbathing. Rog had a little whisper to me the other day, Rig, I hope you're Sabbathing. I hope you're resting. I hope you are, are t- taking time out of the nor- normal rhythms and, and all of that. And uh, I'm, I'm up for, for a brother coming to me and saying, hey, I'm, I'm worried about you. And folk, we need to put our defenses down and let people speak into our lives in a way that we're saying yes to more grace flowing to us through the body. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. When, when Nikki stood up and read that prayer for mothers, it's like a prophetic prayer. I just said, yes, yes, yes. We need that. You're not going to come up with that poem on your own. We need a community. We need to gather to hear that. And so, so much needs a fully devoted private life, but it also needs an equally fully devoted together life. And uh, surely in a church where the most amazing people in the whole on the West Coast are in this church, you would want to be together. No? Okay, bit of an exaggeration. For the sake of the recording, my name is Chris. <laughs> Listen to how the writer to the Hebrews puts it in, in uh, chapter 12 and verse 15 in the message. Make sure that no one gets left out of God's generosity. He's describing how we can miss the grace of God. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed, can ruin a whole garden in no time. Last point. What is the end goal of experiential grace? Yes, God wants me to actually expect His grace. Yes, God wants a foundation for that expectation. Yes, I can neglect that foundation from time to time and the means of grace from time to time. What's the end goal of experiential grace? And here, Paul goes even earlier into his letter. So I'm working backwards from chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15, he says these beautiful words. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase 
thanksgiving to the glory of God. Can you see it? Grace is taking us somewhere. Grace has a forwarding address. It's not just you and I experiencing grace. It's you and I becoming a means of grace to others in our neighborhoods, in the marketplace, in our family brides, where we are. We start to want to include people. We have a culture of invitation because we want grace to reach more and more people. Unashamedly, we're not into church growth in common ground. We want to multiply the message of scandalous grace and goodness. And this gospel message that gives us the new identity, identity, this gospel of grace that secures us and anchors us, is also a, it's also a gospel that sends us with its viral power, with its forwarding address. It extends beyond us, beyond us. And so I've developed a little axiom out of this where Paul says to his readers, it is all for your sake. That's, he's talking about what he's done to reach them. And now through them, it's going to extend to more and more people. My little axiom is for the sake of others and for the glory of God. Folk, put that, write that on a little thing, put it on your mirror for the sake of others. You know what will happen? The freedom of self forgetfulness, the freedom of being so personally obligated to get God to bless me, we understand that the grace God's already blessing you with is too great to be contained in one receptacle. So let me land. Friends, we can never, ever run out of grace. It's like an ever-flowing stream. And a fantastic verse to end on is Hebrews 4 and verse 16, drum solo. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The God in heaven does not bear an angry frown. He has a hearty, warm smile to all those who come humbly before his throne. It's a throne with both quality and and a character inclination to treat every one of us better than we deserve. That's the kind of throne the writer to the Hebrews is calling us to. Why? And then he says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Another translation says that we might find mercy and grace for well-timed help even in tough times. I hope that helps you on your journey as you uh, 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 dive a little deeper into the doctrines of grace. Folk, the thing that sets us apart in the world, Bono from U2 says the only thing that makes a difference, the word that, that, that just totally gatecrashed his life was the word grace. That's the difference between religion, which says do, and grace, which says done. Father, thank you for these amazing people, thank you for the privilege of strengthening your church today. Thank you for our guests and our friends who are exploring faith here or online. I just want to cry out to you that you would uh, transform and gatecrash our expectations. Won't you jumpstart us with this message into a greater expectation of your goodness and your kindness? that we would trust you off a solid foundation. He who spared not his own son, how much more will he not with him? Freely give us all 
things. Too good to be true. Amen. Well, what an amazing... Let's give the Lord a hand for His grace, people. Amazing. Now, I've got a little secret, and we're going to move into the ordination. There is another facet of this diamond of grace. It's called commissioning grace. So we've got saving grace, we've got sustaining grace, and now we've got commissioning grace, which we see in Ephesians 4. He who gave gifts to the church, leadership gifts, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That word gifts is charis, grace. It's from the, the root word grace. It's where Jesus himself has been at work in this story of a local congregation. And today, all I'm doing is serving a moment in terms of what Christ has been giving. And uh, when it comes to these couples, I'm going to ask uh, Mark and Shireen and Mike and Jenny just to come up here on either side. We're not uh, wanting to like embarrass you in any unhelpful way, but please feel free to be on either side. And uh, cool. It's been such a joy to get to know you guys, and uh, such a joy to get to know you guys. I bump into you all kinds of places, don't I? <laughs> After the resurrection, Jesus gave some to be gifts to his church, and for 2,000 years, he's continued to do this as an evidence of his resurrection, and he does it even in COVID times. And so today, with graceful hearts, we also affirm that we're standing on holy ground. also want to say to both of you, as you say yes to the call of God on your lives, as you say yes his yoke is easy, and his burden is life. This will not crush you. This will make you come more alive as you operate within his rhythms. We stand within an ancient tradition where God calls, God empowers, and God sets apart elders to serve in his flock. And so Mark and Shireen and Mark and Jenny... Sue and I have got to know you guys a bit on Zoom calls and conversations and leadership kind of things, and uh, we know we have to lo love you, but we really like you guys. <laughs> we, we think you guys are an amazing gift, and one of the things that just stands out like so, so powerfully in your lives is your deep, deep love for the church, and I just want to thank you on behalf of this crowd and the existing eldership team. Guys, the cavalry's on the way. You're going to get a break. <laughs> uh, although that's not 100% true because you're going to just keep doing what you've been doing as servants of Christ to this community. But the truth is we've been a witness to your life, but nowhere near as much as Roger and Nikki and the rest of the eldership team. And, uh, and of course, this congregation has also been a witness to your life, and they've already, be, they've already been asked, are there any things that they would be concerned about? And so there's a massive endorsement that uh, leads to this climax moment. This church loves, respects the call of God on your lives. And so Mark and Mike, elders and pastors, are set apart for the welfare of the church. And also for the order of the church. They're set apart for the 
for the pastoral concern, not just of this congregation, but also, where appropriate, for the care of their city. They're called in plurality and team to equip this community of faith to live in harmony with God's Word and to ensure that the Word of God is rightly proclaimed and taught. Elders are to serve impartially with sound counsel, regular comfort, and strong exhortations. They are to lead with humility and gentleness. They are to bring good news to the poor and righteousness to the nation. In team with the other elders, they are to steward the resources, the gifts, and the opportunities that God brings to this community. So Mark and Mike, before Almighty God in this congregation, do you confess with us in God's church throughout the ages your faith in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I do. Next one you say, with God's help I will, because you're going to need His help. As an elder, will you joyfully and diligently study God's Word, sacrificially oversee and serve this household of faith? Would you encourage spiritual growth, maintain loving discipline, pursue the proclamation of the gospel, and affirm the sacraments? With God's help, I will. Will you promise, according to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7 and verse 17, to live a life worthy of imitation and emulation and to joyfully watch over the souls of this flock as one as ones who will give joint account for each one of them before God, with God's help. Why do we want to say with God's help we will? Let me just give it to you plain and simple. It's going to take expecting God's grace to be able to do this, to stand up here and say, I do, I will, you can bank on me. You're going to have some bad days, you know, maybe in the next decade, one or two, and you will need to remind yourself. That I said, with God's help, I will, which is another way of saying I have grace expectation as I move into this new role. Now, ladies, Shireen and Jenny, you are vital partners in this, uh, in this one flesh union. You're standing alongside your men. They are twice the person they would ever be uh, with you and like minuscule version of themselves without you, and I want to just affirm that, and everybody said, yeah, 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 you got it, got it. Do you confess with us, ladies, and God's church throughout the ages, your faith in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? As you serve alongside your husbands, will you receive God's grace as a joint heir of the gracious gift of life? Last question to you guys. Will you courageously, ladies, exercise your gifts in a way that's consistent with your character and the way God's wired you? We don't want you to feel any pressure to do anything different, but just yes to being a source of blessing with your man in this role. Will you courageously exercise your gifts, add your voice and your wisdom as a mother to the flourishing of this congregation as you serve alongside your husband. Brilliant. I'm going to ask the church just to stand.
and ask Roger Nix and the existing elders just to come and stand and help me to lay hands on these guys. But a quick question to you as a congregation. Common Ground Church Bloberg, will you receive these gifts from Christ today? (laughs) Somebody's thunder has been stolen. Church, will you receive these gifts from Christ today? By receiving these gifts, you commit yourself to be open to their contribution, to their roles, to their leadership. And will you respect their call and role and make their leadership task a joy from this day forward? Wrong answer. With God's help, I will. We need grace because these guys are not perfect. They are probably going to make some mistakes in the next decade or two. But the point is, they're not perfect. They're perfect-hearted, and they're saying yes to the flourishing of this community, and they can only flourish with you saying yes, lead us, help us to follow Jesus better as an army of followers. And so we're going to pray some prayers, and I'm going to invite Rog, just maybe a next to maybe pray, and all you guys just pray short prayers over the couples, and then I'll pray a final prayer of appointment with Rog. Uh, at the end. So stay standing and let's, uh, if you're comfortable with this in your heart, not everybody can pray today, but you can pray some things that God will hear. And I want to invite you to pray those where you're standing from your heart. What would you want to see God do in and through these couples? It'll be for our collective good. Just before we pray, I want to give you each a little gift. It's very fancy. Yours is the top one. It's even got your M&S and you have M&J. These are trials which you use to build, and um, we've been going with this metaphor. We're talking about being leaders, and um, this beautiful picture, this guy comes, walks up to these three guys who are basically, um, they're laying bricks in a wall, and they ask the first guy, hey, what are you doing? The guy says, I'm laying a brick. Goes to the next guy, says, and what are you doing? The guy says, I'm building a wall. Goes to the third guy, says, and what are you doing? And they've all been doing the same thing, and that guy says, I'm building a cathedral. And uh, they're all doing the same thing, but they see what they're doing in such different ways. And the kinds of leaders that we see here are cathedral builders. (laughs) They see that each brick in the wall, uh, I believe that each time you pitch up to a meeting, each call you make, each time you read the scriptures, even when you don't feel like it, each time you submit your life to Jesus, you repent of sin, you do what uh, 1 Timothy 3 calls you to do, you're building a cathedral. You're not just building a wall or Wonderful. laying a brick. And these are cathedral builders that we get to partner with. And I want to pray that over you guys, and then I'll hand the mic over. And uh, yeah. So, Father, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you that you yes, give Lord. gifts to men. You give gifts to your church. And Jesus, thank you for the gift of Mark and Shireen, Mike and Jenny. Not just to us as an eldership team, but to us as a church. We thank you, God, that they are cathedral builders, that they see your church, your bride, your body, your temple, this amazing, beautiful church as something precious to build. 
And God, I thank you for the vision that you've put in their hearts. And I thank you for the growth that lies ahead. And I thank you for the many uh, humble moments of teaming together and making mistakes together and leading towards that preferred future that you have for us. I thank you that we get to do that in team. Mm. I thank you for the grace that you give. I thank you even now yes, Lord. for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, the mm. anointing. Think of that lovely moment where young King David, who is not a king yet, he's a shepherd, has oil poured on his head by Samuel. The outpouring of the Spirit of God to do the task that you've set them aside to yeah. do. We pray now that this would be a moment of great grace upon them, yeah. great courage, yeah. even great realization of dreams dreamed. The coming together of your purposes and your plans. The realization that, God, you have been working this story for many, many years, even decades. Like Esther's story, preparing them for such a time as this. To not only move into your future, but to Mm -hmm. take us with them. To team together and move into this glorious future journey. Common Ground Church, Bloberg, but your church, your kingdom, God. This goes far bigger than us. Mm. We pray grace upon them, joy upon their leadership, love for people, servant-hearted leadership to wash over them by the power of your Spirit. God, we want to pray for um, their marriages, that they would remain strong and grow in strength as they serve your church. Um, And for their families, we pray for their children to grow in love for you and love for your your bride, the church, as they watch their parents Mm. joyfully, delightfully serving um, and leading in the church. I I pray that there there would be a, a mark of joy over the Trumps and over the Isles family yeah, as, sure. they, um, as they grow into this role um, and that they would really take, as they take steps to lead, mm. that they would experience your leadership yeah. and your pursuit of them. And we thank you, as a church, we thank you for giving us gifts um, in, these, mm. in these two couples and these families. And we, um, we're very grateful mm. today, God. God, we are so grateful as a community that the journey we've been on in six years and as a, as a fellowship here to have uh, couples and families joining eldership who've given and served so wonderfully. Mm. And uh, as a, just as a community and as a family, God, we're just grateful to you for these men and women. And for what it means uh, for us going forward to have them part of the team. Mm. It is, uh, we're very grateful, God. Thank you. Thank you for them. Bless them, Jesus. I'm going to ask the two couples just uh, to be socially distant, to stand there so that I can lay hands on you together because I don't want to just like, as in face the congregation. Yeah, and then I can... Just pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask you, if you're comfortable with this, just to extend your hand of blessing toward them as we come before the Lord. Lord, we say amen to the prayers that have been prayed. We say amen to the track record of the workings of your grace in these lives. 
We thank you that today we are witnesses to what you've been doing for 2,000 years. And so, Jesus, our glorious head of the church, I lay my hands on Mark and Mike, and I ask you, Lord, today to authorize them from this day to do what they've always been doing, but with the greatest sense of authority, pray that they would know uh, this authority flowing through hearts of humility for the good of others and for the glory of God. And so today, we, uh, we appoint them as elders in the church. We bring their wives to you, their families to you. We pray that you would make this call on their lives a family blessing ministry. We remember these amazing children who are also in this infant stage, uh, baby disciples of Jesus, uh, won't you cause uh, this church, this community to be a place of flourishing for their children. And so today, we appoint them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give them some encouragement, church. Over to you, Roger.